Hi, I'm Carmen LaBerge. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBerge. Encouraging you to live as an ambassador of God's kingdom in the world. This is Mornings with Carmen LaBerge on Faith Radio. Open up this morning, recognizing that um, most of us, all of us, everyone is aware that there are very real concerns about uh, the fairness and the fraudulence of the current election cycle. Um, And why is Carmen not giving um, platform to that story? So for those of you barking up my tree and barking up my text and barking up my email about this all the time. Hey, I am fully read in on this. I am listening. I am aware. The challenge is there's no way to cover that comprehensive topic in the amount of time that listeners listen. So you may listen, uh, you know, pillar to post. You may be one of those people that listens for a solid two hours. Most people listening to live radio, they're not listening that long. And so it's actually impossible for me to substantively cover all of the issues and concerns that you are raising. I am, I am very aware of them. I am engaged with you in prayerful consideration of what's going on in our country. If you did not hear my conversation with Rod Dreher, I encourage you to go back and listen to that. Um, we actually touch on this subject without talking directly about it a lot Um, I constantly encourage you to engage with your elected officials. I encourage you to run for office if you feel so called. Um, I would like to uh, see, you know, frankly, everyone listening right now engage somehow in their local at the most local level. So volunteer to be a poll worker. Uh, Go get engaged with your uh, at the at the most local of levels. Run for office. If you don't like what's going on in your local school district, get on the school board, at least get involved in what's happening through the parent teacher organizations at your own school. You say to yourself, I don't have a kid in the school. Um, If you pay taxes in your local community, then you have a vested interest um, and you can't be you can't be denied participation. So I'm just I'm just saying, if you don't like the fruit that is being borne out in the culture in which we live, take some responsibility for it, okay? Um, I am fully aware, I am fully aware that um, people across the country, including myself, have very real concerns um, about the electoral process uh, in the 2020 election cycle. It's not the first time I've been concerned about whether or not um, there were shenanigans going on. Uh, The reality is, if we the people don't engage at in the process at every level, um, then we the people can't gripe and complain when we don't like the outcome. So hats off to everybody who voted. Uh, An extraordinarily high percentage of conservative Christians voted in this election. In fact, I'm going to talk with George Barna um, about that uh, in the coming in the coming days and weeks. I can't remember exactly when he's coming on to talk about that, but it's uh, but that conversation is uh, is planned. So here's the reality. We voted our conscience. And yes, our votes were counted. The reality is other votes were counted as well. The veracity of some of those votes, definitely in question. I get that. I also get that the constitutional solutions to the issue, to the concerns being raised, um, have almost run their course. Like, I'm very aware of that as well. So 
I'm encouraging people to be praying. I'm also encouraging people to be preparing to live as Christians um, in the midst of what is likely a change in the executive administration of the country. So that's what I'm preparing for. Um, and I recognize that some of you are very, very frustrated that I'm not fanning the flames of um, of riotous revolution. I get that. Like, I get, I get that you're concerned about that. So um, I have heard you. And um, I know that that does not substantively address all of your concerns, but there are plenty of media outlets where the people who you um, who whose opinions and understandings of the situation are being lifted up. And so, as always, I encourage you to listen and watch and read very, very widely. You are a person equipped with the Holy Spirit to discern the truth in the matters of the day. And I encourage you to do that. All right. We've got to take a very brief break. Peter Kapsner is in the wings. <clears throat> We're going to talk about what's on the top of your Christmas tree. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Dr. Peter Kapsner is back. I loved seeing your face when I had the opportunity to actually like be in town, even if we had, you know, masks on and separated by plastic shields. It was still kind of fun to just see your bright, shiny face. And your oh, bright, shiny head. It's so great, Carmen. Yeah, no, it's just a blast to be in studio with you. You know, we, and we've talked about it so many times, both on and off the air since then. <clears throat> just what a gift the listeners were uh, last week to, to Faith amazing. Radio. And, and it was just a really sweet time. Totally amazing. Okay, um, what's yeah. on the top of? Do you have a Christmas tree? First of all, and we, if so, what's what is on the top of it? <laughs> we do have a Christmas tree, though. I have to say, Hallie and I about three nights ago we looked at it and thought, "Oh boy, that thing uh, is starting to lean over." We clearly did not get it into the stand <laughs> in an appropriate way. So, Carmen, we literally had to tie it off in the evening because it was so late at night. We saw it. And we tied it off to our heavy kitchen table to just make sure it wouldn't fall over. Uh, so we, we do have it straight now. My son and I managed to do that. But, yes, we do have the classic angel on top of the Christmas tree, of course, which is different than some of the trends that are going on right now. We uh, we have a classic star on the top of our Christmas tree. My mom, uh, I put her angel topper on for her um, so that so that her Christmas tree would be uh, would be ready. Um, other people, however, apparently the trend, you and I are not very trendy, evidenced by this, <laughs> are putting the Baby Yoda tree topper on top of their Christmas trees this year. Um, first of all, who is Baby Yoda? Because I know you uh, are a fan of The Mandalorian. And then, I don't know, what what does this say about this cultural uh, moment? Yeah, no, you're right. I, I certainly am a fan of The Mandalorian. I, I just... It's a it's a new Star Wars series. I'm sure many of our listeners are familiar with it. It's streaming on Disney Plus, and and to me, it sort of has redeemed the the catastrophe that was Jar Jar Binks some 21 years ago in the in the Star Wars universe. And we're certainly enjoying it as a family during this lockdown time. Uh, I'm I'm particularly enjoying the fact that my 10 year old actually has to wait for a week between the cliffhanging episodes. He can't just binge the whole thing because I'm always <laughs> I'm always telling him, dude, I had to wait two years to find I forget out if that you really have a 10 year old father, right? I. I I forget that you have a 10 year old. I like, do. You're yeah, still so, so, like fully in like re, like I don't want to say that those of us whose kids are older, like we're not in real Christmas anymore. But there's something different. It's something different when you still have little kids. It is. 
it, it, you know, uh, Carmen, it really is. We're having a, a blast at the entire thing. And and so in The Mandalorian, um, last year when it was introduced, uh, Grogu is sort of this Yoda-like um, species character that really took the nation by storm. I mean, all the requisite stuffed animals and all the different toys. And and he really is legitimately an in, incredibly compelling character to watch develop in the series. But it's gone so far that people now are replacing what you and I just described at the top of their Christmas tree. They're replacing the angel of the star with Grogu, this this little Yoda-like creature. And, you know, I don't know what the reaction should be to this, and I'd be curious your reaction as well. But I think one of the, the angles on this that I thought about was that uh, what we've seen, I think, a lot over the last maybe 15, 20 years is what I would suggest is the diminishment of the sacred. And I want to be really careful how we talk about this because I don't want to hold up the Christmas tree as this sacred sacred emblem. But but I do think there has been a, a sanctity to Christmas that can be represented by the tree as then we visually represent the story of, of our Savior's birth. And whether that be the star at the top of the tree or the angels proclaiming the incredible news that the Messiah has arrived, those are obviously um, universe-altering moments, way more universe-altering than anything that's going to happen in the Mandalorian series. And, and to replace that um, visual image with Grogu, to me, diminishes a bit. And and. You know, I don't want to be old man, get out of my yard, but but sometimes I do wonder <laughs> if we, uh, you know, if we just, you know, how we present ourselves at church or how we, you know, present ourselves. Um, I, I just I don't I, I, there's been a lot of diminishment lately. So I'd be curious your take on it, too. But but that would be my take on it, that I certainly wouldn't put Grogu on the top of the Christmas tree. All right. I'm not putting him on the top of my Christmas tree either, but um, I just want to remind people that everything including this, is a gospel conversation opportunity. And so for those of you who are huge fans of Star Wars in all of its varieties, I want you to consider um, how you recognize the gospel present in um, in Star Wars. Uh, so where is the gospel present? Where is there evidence of faith? Where is there evidence of hope? Where is there evidence of love? Where is there evidence of power? Uh, where is there evidence of the force? Like, what does that mean? Um, and so you can walk God into the conversation about the Mandalorian. And certainly if you visit someone's home um, or somebody posts online a picture of, uh, you know, a baby Yoda on the top of their Christmas tree, it's an opportunity for you to engage in a conversation uh, with them about where they put their hope and why that's up there. Um, and how how is it that this speaks to them of a reality beyond this one? Uh, what force is it that they are interested in following? I mean, like, I just think there's gospel conversations yeah. to be had um, without, you know, w- us wanting to, you know, frankly, chop down people's Christmas trees because they put a Yoda <laughs> on the top. Okay. Um, all right. You and I have to take a very brief break. we got all kinds of things to talk about next. Um, but I am going to lead with this question. In the county in which you live, do you have a Whole Foods and or a Cracker Barrel? And if so, I can probably tell you how the vote went. That's up next here on Mornings with Carmen. Continuing my conversation with Dr. Peter Kapsner. Uh, all right, Peter, um, Dave Wasserman, who is a guy who works for the Cook Political Report, laid out a Twitter thread that I found um, personally irresistible. It is the real predictor of how people vote and whether or not you live in a county that has a Whole Foods or a county with a Cracker Barrel is actually a better indicator of the way the vote's going to go in your county than any other single predictor. So here's the question. 
uh, do you have a Whole Foods and or a Cracker Barrel in the county where you live? I love this conversation. And you're not wrong. That Twitter thread and, and all that goes with it, right? Um, so we live actually, we're, we're in the western suburbs of Minneapolis, and we're right on the edge of Hennepin County, which is the primary county that comprises a uh, Minneapolis area. And, and of course, that county was very heavily uh, in favor of Joe Biden and the presidency. And and yeah, there's Whole Foods all so, around no, us. So in, no in, Cracker Barrel. Very likely then. No Cracker Barrel. No Cracker Barrel. Absolutely not. But very it, likely but, but, a, so I, a Whole Foods. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm at that whole, you know, any number of Whole Foods. Again, we have five kids at home and it's funny. You can fill the fill the larder, as it were, you know, one day and it's gone, gone the next. So there's plenty of Whole Foods to go around if I drive 25 minutes east from my location into the Minneapolis area. But by contrast, if I drive 25 minutes west, I literally am in Laura Ingalls Wilder country. I mean, it is it is Little House on the Prairie. <laughs> And and as a as a person who has a background in sociology and loves to observe the patterns of people, what you're what you're describing in terms of the vote is absolutely true, because 25 minutes to the West, it would it is all Trump country. It is Trump signs. It is Trump flags. There's literally a Trump billboard uh, for the listeners that you described at the top of the hour that are concerned about the potential fraud in the electoral process. That is all completely present there. And if I go 25 minutes to the east, it would be uh, exactly the opposite. And I actually thought about this and commented. I came home one day about six months ago as the pandemic was underway and starting and we were locked down. <clears throat> and I was doing what many people were doing, improving their homes or working outside. And I had to get some things at Home Depot in the Hennepin County area. And uh, and, and everyone was completely masked up from top to bottom uh, at this Home Depot in the Hennepin County area. I then literally, Carmen, had to drive straight west into more uh, rural Minnesota, and I had to hit a fleet farm out there. And it was as if the pandemic had never hit. There was very few people in masks and uh, and just that difference. Right. Whether whether you are in favor of, of full masks or, or not, that's not the, the point of this. The point is just as a as an observer of culture. You can see things break down and boy, do they break down along even just geographic lines like that. So the Whole Foods Cracker Barrel conversation, I think, is right in line with, with where we are at such a divided time as a country. OK, so for those of you who are saying to yourself, I've never even heard of Cracker Barrel, it's because I'm pretty sure there's only one in the entire state of Minnesota. It's in <laughs> I think Lake. you're right about that. It's in Lakeville. It's on Kenyon Avenue. Uh, on exit 85 of I-35, just letting you know, in case you want to check it out and go. You might find some of your people there. Here's a little analysis I did of my own location. My county is one of those that has neither a, a Whole Foods or a Cracker Barrel. That's just because my county is so rural. We don't have towns big enough to support either one of those things. However, I widened my search. Uh, there are three Whole Foods locations within 30 miles of me. And 15 Cracker Barrel locations within 30 miles of me. And I have been to two of the three Whole Foods and probably 10 of the 15 Cracker Barrels. So, so how did I'm you, you must have voted? It, what, what was the vote demographic? Oh, so, well, so that? here's the thing. So those three Whole yeah. Foods, those three Whole Foods are in, um, are, are all in one county. And it happens to be the one blue county uh, near where I live. So it's actually Fascinating. where the, the city is located. And then uh, the 15 Cracker Barrel locations are pretty evenly dispersed uh, in in and out of red and blue zones, but obviously uh, dominated in counties that um, that voted for President Trump. 
Um, I feel like I could run. Here was my thought, uh, Peter, in, in terms of like a statistical analysis that I could run that would rival Dave Wasserman. Right. Because, you know, I'm always looking for another angle. So yeah, uh, I, had, I had I had two thoughts. Um, I feel like you could run a similar analysis between how far you live from a tractor supply or a Trader for Joe's. Sure. <laughs> and so I did that. Uh, there are no tractor supplies uh, in the entire city of Washington, D.C., but there are five Trader Joe's. So here's the problem as I see it. Uh, Washington, D.C. has six Whole Foods locations and no Cracker Barrels. They have uh, five Trader Joe's and no tractor supplies. I, I feel like I have my finger on uh, potentially the real issue and concern with what's going on inside the Beltway. I, I think you do, <laughs> Actually, you know, kidding aside, the lack of retail diversity, right, brings in a lack of certain clientele. And, and then you end up in an echo chamber of your own thinking. And and so so I guess what I'm hearing you say is that to help heal the divisions in our country, we need a broader, diverse range of retail outlets of different kinds to interact with each other. Yes. And just because I know people are concerned and want to know, uh, yes, there are two Trader Joe's within 20 miles of me and five tractor supplies. But if you widen the search to 40 yep. miles... I have 20 tractor supply locations that I could visit. So I just feel like I'm blessed. Tractor supply and Cracker Barrel, easy for me to get to. That, you know, that, and that's very fair. I actually have to be at Tractor Supply later today or, or right next door of to it. Of course get, you uh, do. Hay for the chickens. Of course, hay for the chickens, you know. So it's, uh, but <laughs> it really is to, to live on the edge of both right now. I really am not, we we, have, we live close to a little town, uh, a little village, but it very much would be um, demographically broken down again for Joe Biden. And all of the signs in our neighborhood are Joe, you know, they were Joe Biden, but even five miles uh, to the west of here, it was Donald Trump. And and I don't know what to to make of that entirely about how a country that is so split in its values. And I, and I think one thing we can say about this, Carmen, is where you live and how you grow up. Right. It, it deeply impacts Absolutely. your view of the world on almost every possible level. Well, I'll talk with my students at times about the idea that it, had I been born on the soil of Saudi Arabia, for example, what would be my religious views? What, how would I think about the world? And how do we then explore the truth of things that transcends our geographic environment or the way in which we grow up? Because we are so conditioned by those things. So I think it it, it actually invites a conversation um, to become increasingly a person who I would describe as being intellectually humble and intellectually honest and recognize the both known and unknown deep impacts on our own thinking about the world. And if we can't then, in a mutual way, see another person about how they've been impacted and from there go into conversation with humility and honesty and say, hey, look, some of how I view the world is going to be beautiful because of how I've grown up. And some of how I view the world maybe needs to shift and change a little bit because of how I grew up. And so I, I do think there's something interesting there to pay attention to when you just simply do the search you're doing that does demonstrate who voted for who. And, and even the way things are presented on a retail basis really does reflect that as well. So I think there's a lot of conversations we could have about this. Okay, which is the whole point of Peter Kapsner and I surfacing this. Um, this is a different way to approach the conversation with your neighbors, with your friends, with the people in the wider community um, about uh, about what's going on and how we have arrived at the point where we are today in the United States of America. So I just is. wanted to give you a little bit different fodder for the conversation. Here's another approach um, that I would like for you uh, while you're, you know, while you got your Googler open and you're figuring out how far you live from uh, Whole Foods and or Cracker Barrel or Tractor Supply and Trader Joe's. Here's another search. 
Um, what's the dominant religious uh, institution in your in your region? Uh, what's yeah. the diversity of churches, and how far away uh, do people live from really vibrant, gospel-centered, gospel-preaching, uh, good discipling, rich fellowship congregations? Um, because that, that, yes. my friends, is a more important conversation for us to be having even um, than the rather humorous one we're having uh, about Whole Foods and Cracker Barrel. All right, Peter, you and I got to leave it right there. Thank you, my brother. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Because uh, next, this time next week, I think we're, you know, listening to Christmas music or something. I, I think that's well, exactly right. We're not Carmen. talking yeah, no, live, I can tell you that. Too. All right, <laughs> thanks, love man. It. All right, yeah, we'll be soon. right back. Bye. How are things going? How are things going for you this year? How are you feeling about things? Experienced trials and suffering, maybe even loss? Well, Meg Apperson joins me next. She is uh, familiar with all of these realities. She's also familiar with a process through which she discovered the true nature of God, how trustworthy, loving, and faithful he is. The book is Sky Full of Stars, Learning to Surrender to God's Perfect Plans. Meg Apperson is up next. If we could save ourselves, why would we need a Savior? This is Max Lucado. Jesus didn't enter the world to help us save ourselves. He entered the world to save us from ourselves. As a Boy Scout, I earned a life-saving merit badge. Fact is, the only people I saved were other Boy Scouts who didn't need to be saved. During training, I would rescue other trainees. We took turns saving each other. But since we weren't really drowning, we resisted being rescued. Stop kicking and let me save you, I'd say. It's impossible to save those who are trying to save themselves. You know, you might save yourself from a broken heart or going broke or running out of gas, but you're not good enough to save yourself from sin. You aren't strong enough to save yourself from death. You need a Savior. And because of Bethlehem, you have one. This is Max Lucado. Meg Apperson is a blogger, a homeschool mom, a pastor's kid, a military wife. Wow. Um, on and on and on. Author of <laughs> Sky Full of Stars, Learning to Surrender to God's Perfect Plans. No one, um, after hearing your story, is going to understand how you have time to write a blog, let alone a book. But you have done it. Meg Apperson, uh, welcome to Mornings with Carmen. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Tell us about your family. Yeah, so I'm married to my husband, Cody, and we have four kids. We live in North Carolina. Uh, my children are se uh, 12 and 7 tomorrow and 5 and then 2. And we are a military family, homeschooling family. And our, our third child, Avery, was born unexpectedly with some pretty serious special needs. And that's kind of where the blog came from. I had been blogging a little bit before, but after she was born, it was just a really efficient way of keeping our friends and family up to date. No one was following me at that time. So, uh, you know, it was just, it was basically just writing for friends and family. And over time, the, the readership just exploded and, and I uh, ended up writing a book about our experiences. And, and that's why I'm talking to you today. 
Um, several uh, several threads that we could just pull from what you have just shared, but I want to be quick to tell our listeners that Sky Full of Stars um, is a book that is emotional and it is real and there's parts of it that are raw and it speaks to the reality of suffering. It also speaks to the absolute um, confidence that we can have in the goodness and the faithfulness of our Father uh, in heaven. And so, and that God cares about every little thing. I think that's one of the standout things for me, Meg, in the book. God cares about every little thing in your life. I also want to be quick to tell people that um, we have copies to give away. So um, if you're hurting and you're trying to figure out where God is in all of this, how God could sustain you through the hardest times of life, um, today's the day that you want to text the word book to 877-933-2484. Um, let me just ask this, Meg. Can we trust God? Is God trustworthy? Mm, that is a great question, and I think probably something that a lot of people are really struggling with right now. And in my experience, absolutely. I mean, just from reading the Bible and then from coming to know God in a way I couldn't have any way other than suffering, I really came to to see, just like you said, how much He cares, how in every single circumstance of our life, he is, he is at work. He has a purpose and he's creating a really beautiful, a really beautiful result from, from whatever you're going through. So you use the word purpose. Um, and I want to get to the question about God having a purpose in my pain and suffering, because I think that that's the really hard soil for people to till. Mm-hmm. Um, but before we go there, I want to, um, I want to ask a question about the courage that it took to have another baby because Mm. Avery, Avery's five. Um, and Oh, we need to, we need to give a quick shout out. Whoever it is that has a birthday tomorrow, they share a birthday with Susie Larson. So that's that's kind of fun. (laughs) Yeah. Okay. But you, but you also have a two-year-old talk, talk with us about, about having another baby after the reality of all the challenges that, that Avery faces. Yeah. Well, he was kind of a surprise. Honestly, if it had been up to me, as much as I really wanted another baby, I wasn't prepared to go there. I mean, it was kind of not really the last frontier of trusting God because I'm still in that process and I will be in that process until the day that I die. But there was still an element of distrust, something about holding back how, you know, we've done a lot of genetic testing on Avery and we've never found a result. And and my husband and I, you know, there's nothing in our genes that we can find that would have caused what Avery was born with. And, and yet still... I I had to hold on to this sense of control that somehow my body was defective and responsible for what had happened. And so I didn't, you know, Ryan was a bit of a surprise and it was really like the Lord setting off every trigger in my soul. It was like the next phase of healing that I wouldn't have taken myself to on purpose. Mm. I love that. I'm so glad. I'm so glad I asked. I so, I'm so glad that Ryan is in the world, and I'm sure that he is um, a person of great of great joy. <clears throat> and he is, you know, living with a God-given purpose. Um, let's get back to the purpose conversation. And again, um, if you want to text in to enter the drawing for the books that we have, go ahead and text the word book to 877-933-2484. The book is Sky Full of Stars. Meg Apperson is my guest. You can find her blog. I want to be sure that um, that people can can get there and find the blog, and I want to get it right, fourfinelives.com, fourfinelives.com. Um, all right, Meg, let's talk about purpose. Um, God actually has a purpose 
for pain and suffering, but that is a really hard sell. It is. It is. And it's a lot of times only on the other side of it that you can look back and kind of see what the purpose was, what the seeds were that were being sown. So I think of our lives as like this beautiful tapestry. And some of the threads that are woven through are really, really painful, just straight up loss, you know, excruciating pain, um, maybe wounding that other people inflicted on you willfully. Like there's just so much that people experience. And, and yet over and over on, on this side of things, and, and really it's a gift to be able to see it at the time. And I think as we grow in our walk with God, we become better at seeing what he's doing in the moment. But a lot of times it's on the other side of it, where we can look back on that memory bank of, of things that we've walked through and seen how God was faithful and good, and then see how they were all like stepping stones to build to where we are now. You, um, you really, you unpack so many uh, of the, of the very real and, and raw questions that people ask when they are in the midst of an experience that's unexpected and, um, you know, where they're, I don't want to say faith is always tested, but God is tested. Like it is a test uh, my experience of pain and suffering, um, I don't know whether or not it tests my faith, because that's probably a question I can't answer, but it does test my understanding of who God is, and it mm. tests God's faithfulness, and he always proves himself faithful, um, and that is a joy to be able to bear witness and testimony to, and that's really what this book is. This is a book of witness yeah. and testimony to the fact that you found God to be faithful, um, but it's also a book about surrender. And so I want to talk about learning to surrender. That conversation is up next. My conversation partner, Meg Apperson, you can find her blog at fourfinelives.com. You can also text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing for a copy of Sky Full of Stars, Learning to Surrender to God's Perfect Plans. We'll be right back. Continue my conversation with Meg Apperson. We're talking about her new book, Sky Full of Stars, Learning to Surrender to God's Perfect Plans. Uh, yes, I have copies to give away. You can text the word book to 877-933-2484 to enter the drawing. Um, Meg, let's talk, uh, let's talk about the word season because there's, um, there's this sense that we move through a season of suffering. But, but in reality, um, Avery's life has changed your life. It's changed your marriage. It's changed the life of your children. Um, and it's ongoing. Like this is not, um, this is not many of these things are things that she may or may not outgrow. I mean, I've, I've read your blog, so I know that you just had a surgery in September. Like it's, um, there's an ongoing season to this, but she's a little gift that's bearing fruit in every season. And, um, and it's changing, it's changing the world. Can you just talk yeah. about that a little bit? Yeah. I mean, just like you said, you know, people talk about seasons or, you know, that this is a transient thing that happens and, and that's not the case for us. I mean, a lot of things that Avery had, you know, this will just be a lifelong journey of, of managing, um, her syndrome. And, you know, there's this, there's this new normal that people talk about. And and I, I want to encourage anyone who feels like their season is going to go on forever. And maybe it really is. Maybe it's a lifelong disability that you're dealing with. And, and I will say that 
there are seasons of, um, how do I want to say there are seasons of, of acute suffering. And then it kind of eases a little bit. And over time you build this muscle of being able to withstand, you know, suffering or, you know, you just get better at, at managing your life. And then things really do get easier as you get used to your season of suffering. It does kind of ease a little bit, but like in Avery's case, it took it took years to feel like it would be fine. We could do this for the rest of her life. And I wasn't just living day to day, spending every ounce of emotional and physical energy I had in that 24 hour period just to wake up and do it again. Um, you know, and that's where, you know, his mercies being new every morning come into play and, and asking for those mercies every day because they're available fresh each morning. Um, so if, if you, if you said it out loud um, in here uh, in the book, I missed it. Um, I have a stepson who has uh, Apert's syndrome, which is mm. a, a a form of, um, of, of the craniosynitis. And so I just um, I offer that up to you to say that uh, he's 15. Life is um, a joy and an adventure, um, and we are you know just now um, dealing with what will the next round of um, uh, of conversations be in terms of medical and surgical interventions, particularly for him at this stage, you know, in relationship to we've reached the stage where we're now having the orthodonture uh, conversations. Um, yeah. So you don't walk this journey alone, although I'll admit to you that every family with a medically fragile child or a kid with special needs, um, it is a unique experience. Like we're all in it together but we're all in it like every day and every hour. And so I don't know that we talk about it with one another very much. Yeah. In my experience, uh, we don't. And part of that I think is like to, is like respecting other people's journey. Like yep. these children fall under the same umbrella of things, but they're all so unique. I mean, the way exactly. that the syndrome impacts their structure is just, it's so different from one kid to the next. So thank you. Thank you for sharing that with me. That's, that's a beautiful yeah, and he's uh, he's precious. My listeners uh, know a lot about Matthew, and um, so I want you guys to know that um, Meg Meg is dealing in her family with a similar chronic ongoing um, challenge in terms of what Avery faces throughout her life, and we want to be keeping the Apperson family in our constant and continuing prayers. And I want to encourage and uplift you. Talk talk with me about, um, I love this line that you're described as an advocate for medically fragile children. First of all, I love that characterization. Talk, talk with us about that. Yeah, so, so that really starts with Avery. You know, when I think about the kind of life that I want Avery to leave, I want her to know that Number one, we have her back and we are going mm -hmm. to, um, you know, make a way for her to do whatever she needs to do, to do whatever she wants to do. Any room that she walks into is a room in which she belongs. If she chooses to be there, then there's space for her. And so start, some of that just starts with me. Like I have to choose to believe. And at the beginning, it was a little harder. You know, doctors would talk about, you know, her being abnormal and defective and, and people would either stare or they'd look away. And so uh, I was the type of person that would be impacted by that, by feeling like, you know, oh no, I've made other people uncomfortable. And, you know, what can I do to make this easier on everybody else? And yet to really advocate for Avery means I have to walk with a little bit of, of purpose in my steps to say, I'm here, Avery's here, whatever that means, 
is what it means. And, you know, how other people perceive Avery and perceive our family is, is about them. We are not going to let that decide where we go and what we do. That's exactly right. And it's not, um, I, I sometimes encounter people who are like, well, you just treat Matthew like he's normal. I'm like, well, this is normal for Matthew. Like, I don't yeah. know even how to respond to you when you say my kid is, you know, like, you know, so, um, I, I get it. And I love the way that you, um, love your child and the way that you also recognize, um, that every other kid in your family is also just as precious and special. Talk, talk with us about oh, yeah. how you guys manage all of that. Oh yeah. Um, so, so first, you know, there's a little bit of, of guilt when you're first starting this journey, when you see how your other children are suffering, you know, Avery was not the only one that suffered. Avery has suffered on a, on a level that none of the rest of us could even dream of. But my other children were really suffering in ways, you know, we lived apart for a long time. Um, my, my older daughter was 15 months old when Avery was born. And so mm. she kind of lost her babyhood, woke up one morning and her mom was gone, you know, for, for almost 18 months. So there is so much suffering. And, and for a long time, I, I carried that guilt of feeling like not only was I failing my children, but maybe God was failing my children and, and having to choose to see that in the economy of God, his purpose for Avery mixes in with his purpose for Max and his purpose for Laura and his purpose for Ryan. And that they need to, you know, they needed Avery to be who they, who they needed to be who they needed to grow to be just like, you know, Avery needs Max, her oldest brother in her life to help her become who she was meant to be. So once I was able to kind of work through that theology of, you know, God, if you're just hurting me, I can handle that, but you're hurting my children. And that feels extra personal, you know? And, and so accepting that you're good, you're faithful, you only, only ever do what's right. And, and that kind of, helped with the guilt. And then I was able to see, you know, how can I love each child individually in a way that doesn't make them feel like they're part of a machine, you know, like they're just one, two, three, four, and they're just part of this taking care of Avery process. How can I sew into each of their lives and let each of them feel loved in their unique ways? And so some of that, you know, I read the five love languages of children and, and my youngest is a little too little to know what his love language is right now. He's a toddler. So just my carrying him around on my hip all day, every day is, is his love language. But the older children, like figuring out what, you know, what does Max need? He's really a quality time kid. He loves to talk. And so we'll get up really early in the morning before homeschool and I'll take him to Starbucks and we'll sit and we'll just have a cup of coffee and talk. And so that was one of the ways that I, I learned to love each of them and then recognize that there was going to be some suffering and that was okay. You know, my job as a mother, it's not to have them never suffer, you know, to, to remove anything that could hurt them. It's really to help them walk through the suffering, point them to God, and then recognize that I'm never going to do a perfect job. They're going to leave my home with holes and the holes are there for a purpose. The holes are meant to be filled by God. You know, none of us were meant to be perfectly whole and, and, and an entity just to ourselves. We needed the Lord to come to those weak places, to come to those wounded places and meet us there. Thank you for being so authentic and just having a genuine conversation. Um, and I just I appreciate how um, how honest you are about what's going on uh, in your heart, in your life, in your family, and in your relationship with God. That transparency allows us to enter in um, and learn. And so I just I want to say thank you so much for that. 
Meg Apperson is somebody you're going to want to follow. She blogs at fourfinelives.com. You can also find her actively on Instagram. The book is Sky Full of Stars, Learning to Surrender to God's Perfect Plans. Meg, thank you so much for joining us today on Morning with Carmen. It was my pleasure. We'll be right back. All right. uh, Her conversation or her uh, indication there about having coffee with mom made me remember that great coffee with mom book that Mike Glenn wrote. So on at at both ends of life, we need to have coffee with mom and we need to be chronicling what we're learning. So just a thought today. Have coffee with mom, even if it's um, coffee with yourself, remembering mom. All right. um, Have a great day. God bless. We'll be right back here tomorrow with another episode of Mornings with Carmen. Thanks for listening to this podcast of Mornings with Carmen LaBurge from Faith Radio. If you haven't, you can subscribe to automatically receive the podcast through iTunes or the Google Play Music app. That way you never miss an episode. It's also available anytime at MyFaithRadio.com.